All right, well, good morning. Is everybody feeling okay? <laughs> okay. Heads up. I'm going to ask that question again, and I just need you to fake it, all right? Hey, is everybody doing all right this morning? <laughs> that was, I'm going to be honest, the worst response I've ever had. So you guys, totally, this is amazing. Hey, I'm so crazy excited because we are starting a new series called Better Together. And here's what I believe. Um, the church was designed so that you would know that we are better together. Uh, and it comes counter to what we've been taught, you know. And so and I'll just give you an example. Uh, we just had our fourth child. I know some, yeah, I, I know, thank you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, some of you are like, seriously, four? All right, come on, knock it off. Um, but so we just had our fourth child. And right now, his name is Jackson. Um, he is completely and totally dependent on his mom. He doesn't need me at all. He doesn't even know I exist. Um, but for his, with regard to his relationship with his mom, complete dependence. Like there isn't a moment where he doesn't, you know, need her desperately for survival. And so every one of us have this same story. We, we're in the process and we all begin with this utter dependence. And then every stage after that, we are fighting for independence, right? If you've raised kids or you were one at some point, <laughs> um, you may reflect on like as a two-year-old, there's this new battle of fighting for dependence. Like, no, I'm not staying on the ground anymore. I'm getting up and I'm running around, you know? And, and then the battles change to like, no, I'm pouring my own cereal. And I'm like, really? Okay, this is our fights now. Um, but every day, every stage in life um, that we go through, we're, we're fighting out of dependence on something because it's been driven into us that you need to stand on your own two feet. You need to be able to handle things on your own. You need to be able to look out for number one. You need to be able to do these things. And so we're on this journey. Every one of us is on this journey of going from dependent to independent. But the problem is a lot of us stop there. And that's not the end of the journey. Many of us stop before we enter into the, what is the most crucial phase of interdependence. You know, you see this pretty clearly in marriage that two people would come together and he would say, I am fully invested in this relationship and dependent on it. And she would look back and say, I'm fully invested in this relationship and dependent on it. I need you, you need me. There's a beautiful picture of interdependence. And so many of us move from dependent to independent, I got a job, I can make money now, I can prove myself, I can do these things, and we start basing all kinds of value and identity on our independence, and we miss what is the most, the, the most fruitful experience of life, which is living into interdependence. And so that's what the church promises. That's what the church gives you. It's this picture of you have been growing physically from dependence to, excuse me, independence to now um, interdependence. And spiritually, this is so crucial that you would grow from dependence to independence. I know how to study the word I know how to pursue Jesus on my own. I know how to do all these things, but you can't stop there because there's an interdependence. We need one another. We are better together. We have to get to that point if we become the church that Jesus was dreaming about. 
Because that's what he did. When Jesus was ready to leave this earth, and he said, what is the one thing that I can give the world so that they might experience me? What did he send? The church. But here's the reality. The church is a bunch of messed up crazy people. Amen? Hey, if you didn't say amen, you're the messed up crazy one. Okay, so um, it, it, just to be honest, you know, the church, if you think about it, it's like this is the most ridiculous plan ever. Why would you send the, the most important mission in our world and give it to a bunch of broken, imperfect people? And so Jesus said, don't worry, I'm giving you the spirit. So he starts the church and he sends the spirit to guide us, to make sure we don't go crazy and to keep moving us and pushing us. And listen, historically, the church has not been that perfect picture of what Jesus wanted. It has not been this picture of interdependence that we need one another, but it has oftentimes been the most isolating of places, the most prejudice of places. It has not been what Jesus pictured because if we, as the church, see people the way that he does. You do not see people as less than human, but you lift them up. Prejudice doesn't have a place in the church. It doesn't make sense here. It tears our world apart. We should be the one place that you finally see how people can love each other. That's what the church is supposed to be. And I mean, you're reading these crazy headlines of what's going on in our world, and Jesus said, I have an answer. It's the church. You remember when Jesus prayed, he said, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven, you know. And here's the reality. Um, he has started the kingdom. It's here. Now. Like, it's not like, okay, one day when we all pass away, we'll get to experience what he was talking about. No, Jesus said, I'm bringing the kingdom. It has started. You can experience God. You can experience freedom. You can experience life. You can experience things that are otherworldly because Jesus has already started the kingdom of God. It's not finished yet. It's not fully realized, but he said it has begun and my church is the picture. It is the picture of what it means to love and experience God. And so when people come into the family of God and, and belong to a place like this, that's where loving one another and caring for one another and knowing one another and bearing with one another, that's where you see those things. And so that's what this series is about. How do we get back to the dream Jesus had for his church? That we would actually be better together. So I'm crazy excited about this because I've personally been on a journey um, and I know I'm a pastor and I should know all these answers about the church, but I don't. I'm discovering what Jesus wants his church to be like. And so he's been doing some stuff in me and I get to share those things with you guys. But here's the reality I want you to take, hold on to. The character of the church is rooted in the character of Christ. I know we don't have bulletins this morning. Sorry about that. Um, you can look at your app. Uh, there's a digital bulletin. You can follow along in that. Um, otherwise, we're going to have to go old school. You're going to have to write sentences. I'm sorry. It's terrible. I know. My bad. 
Um, but here's the reality. You know, the character of the church, what it looks like, what it feels like, what it goes after, what it's called to, is rooted in the character and person of Jesus Christ. And so there are four things that drive us. And we're going to take these four things over the next several weeks and we're going to talk about. Um, and so let me give you these four things and then we're going to jump into one of them this morning. First off, um, what drives us? Reach your one for Jesus. We will always be reaching someone who doesn't know Jesus we're going to reach out to them. We're going to go after them. We're going to introduce them to Jesus. We're going to do crazy things like give the money that we worked really hard for. We're going to give it and support people so that they can go share the gospel with people. We're going to find ways to reach our next one for Jesus. And if, you don't, if you're not familiar with that language, a little while ago we said, what if our entire church just prayed for one person every day? Every one of us, all right, everybody in this room. What if you made a commitment? I'm going to pray for one person every day, and I'm going to make it this prayer. Either I have one person in mind, and I'm going to pray for them daily. Lord, be with my father and give me a chance to share your love with him. Next day, give me a chance to share your love with my dad. Next day, give me a chance to share your love with my dad. Prayer is where it begins, okay? But for some of us, um, we don't have that specific person in mind, so we say pray this. Lord, show me one person today you want me to engage. One person. Uh, now, for college students, they're like, yeah, I pray that prayer. Give me one person today I can get engaged with. That's not what I was talking about. I was saying, like, give me one person that you can encounter um, and, and share the love of Jesus with. Just give me one person. And you, if you pray that every day, what if our entire church just devoted ourselves to doing that because we're going to reach after the next one because Jesus is the kind of God who reaches after one more, one more, one more. That's who he is. Here's the second thing. Uh, we grow together. Again, this is the interdependence of our church. It was not designed, listen to me, it was not to, designed to be done in isolation. Individualism, if you, if you read scripture from an individualistic perspective, you miss a vast majority of what the scriptures are trying to teach you. If you approach church, come here on the weekend, and you approach it from an individualistic perspective, you miss the vast majority of what the church was designed to be. We grow together. It's about community. And so we'll get into that in a few weeks. Number three, we make a difference. We make a difference. Everybody look up here as soon as your notes are done. There you go. You just check it out. Okay. Every one of us, every one of us, every one of us, was designed for a purpose. God does not spend time creating people that he does not have a purpose for. Every one of you has been invested in. He's been knitting you together, scripture teaches us. He's, he spent time, every intricate detail upon detail, forming you because he says, this is who I have, this is the picture and the dream I have for this person. And so that's what he's done. So I know every person I lock eyes with has a purpose and therefore can make a difference. And so here's the last one. Number four, we choose compassion. You know, a lot of times when you wake up, you bump into somebody or you're driving down the road, someone cuts you off. Like say GSU gets back in school and traffic is terrible. All right, just hypothetical, okay? 
Um, purely hypothetical. So say you're driving and someone cuts you off, okay? You have a choice and you can choose a lot of things. There's a little horn, you know, that's a good, good, good choice. Um, but you can also choose compassion. And what we have just said and what we want to almost create the habit of is like when, when life hits you, default by choosing compassion. You could choose anger, you could choose frustration, you could choose pride, you could choose, all these things are like right there and ready to be used, you know what I mean? But you could choose compassion and you could see something amazing take place and happen. And you know, so that's what we talk about. We choose compassion and we see what happens. So we're gonna be talking about that in a few weeks as well. But now, we're gonna start with make a difference. Everybody, I'm gonna ask you to do something and I want you to chime in. Everybody say make a difference. Fantastic. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the fact that we were all created um, for a purpose and we were created to make a difference. Now, just I'm going to do this sermon backwards, so I apologize. We're going to do all the application stuff right now. And then for the rest of the time, I'm going to tell you why it's important. All right, so on your seat, most of you should have a volunteer form. If you have a volunteer form, could you just hold it up? It looks like this right here. Okay, volunteer form. Most of you have one. If you don't have one, um, it's because you're free to go. You don't have to volunteer. I'm just kidding. You have to go to Connecting Point. Here's why we do this. Um, we, we love our volunteer teams. We love people who come in here. And yes, they're like working at Gulfstream or they're working as a professor. Or they're doing all these things. But then they come in and they recognize I'm making a difference. I have a purpose and I'm investing in third grade boys. They come in here and they pour their heart into something that is, you know, these third grade boys, they may never turn around and say thank you. They may never do anything like that, but they are le legitimately making a difference because they said, I'm going to step in and I'm going to serve. And that's why we do this. Not because we got a bunch of gaps that need to be filled, okay? Listen, that's not why we do this. We do this because something in you comes alive when you serve. Something in you wakes up when you are devoting yourself to something that's beyond you, other than you. No longer independence, but interdependence. Someone needs you and you need someone else. So let me just talk through these real fast. There's a kids and students opportunity. If you love children, you love students, you want to pour radically into the next generation, man, please sign up for this and start pouring into these generations. Because listen, the next generation is not the soon-to-come church. They are the church now. Old guys like me, we're done. <laughs> you know what I mean? Pouring into the children, pouring into the students, that is the generation that is the church today. They're the ones that are going to change the world. And so if you want to make a difference and pour into them, man, sign up and get, be a part of this. First connections and next steps. Um, if you're interested in that or you're trying to figure out what that is, the way I look at our church is like, all right, if this was my house, how would I want people who visit my home to feel? When they come in the door, uh, the front door of our house, what should they experience? Some of you are not very hospitable, so let me tell you what they should experience. Um, this usually means you move from somewhere up north. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so when you walk into somebody's house, you do not say like, you know where the drinks are, you know, unless you, you're really familiar with them. Some of you are like, I do that all the time. Okay, you should not be a greeter. You need to be somewhere else. Um, but you should welcome them. 
You should let them know that this place is special. You should let them know that something really special can happen here. You can belong here. You can be known here. You have a place where you can have relationships and friendships. We thought about your needs before you got here. We want people, whenever they come to the church, or you could say our house, we want them to feel like I can be known and cared for here. I can, I can have a role here. I can belong here. There's something unique happening, and, and they thought of me, and they have a place here. Why would we think that way? Because Jesus thinks that way. Jesus thought that way about us. He looked at every one of us and said, you can belong in my family. You can be a part of this. You can have a role in this. And so we just play it out. Every weekend, we love one another, we serve one another, we care for one another. Every weekend, that's how the family operates. We go out of our way to make sure we're thinking about other people. That does not make sense in our world. It does make sense in the kingdom of God. So there are a lot of options on here. I want you to, this whole time while we're talking, I'm going to be done now with talking about that. But I want you to pay attention to if the Lord's leading you to sign up for something. Like if children's ministry like lights you up, man, sign up, make a difference. If students or if hospitality or life groups or any of these things light you up, just sign up and take a step and see what happens, all right? Now, why? Why is serving such an important aspect of life? If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew 20. Um, if you don't have one, that's okay. We'll put the passages up here. Uh, but I always love writing in my Bible and, and underlining words and asking questions and doing those kind of things. I want to encourage you, do the same thing. So Matthew 20, Jesus is going to help us answer the question, why is serving such an important aspect of life for us? So Matthew 20, we're going to pick up in verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him, that's Jesus, with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. Okay, time out. When, this is, this is free for, for those of you. When you ask your mom to ask Jesus a question for you, that's already a terrible start, okay? I remember playing football. I know you're like, well, of course you played football. I know, okay. Um, <laughs> So I remember middle school, high school, my, I was like protecting my coach from my mom. You know what I mean? I was like, mom, please do not speak to my coach because you will make it infinitely more difficult for me uh, as it already is, okay? So, um, but I just remember because she was like, but my boy, he's so good, you know, like give him a chance, give him a shot, give him an opportunity to try this position. Or give him the, and I'm like, do not ask my coach to give me a chance because that just means I'm going to be running more and I'm not going to have a chance. And so, the, but these sons of Zebedee, by the way, do you know what their nickname was? Sons of Thunder. I'm like, that is a really awesome name. You know, they, they, you picture the sons of thunder, and anywhere they go, you assume they're like radically changing cities, and they're standing against opposition, and they're making things happen, and they're standing up when everybody's backing down, and then they go, hey, Mom, um, could you ask Jesus this question for us, please? 
You know, it's just, it doesn't make sense to me. And so anyway, Zebedee's, the sons of Zebedee, their mom shows up. Bad situation. Um, and Jesus said to her, what do you want? He probably said it nice, though. Sorry about that. He was like, what do you want? Um, and she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Same situation in football. Coach. Let my son try this position or this position, and everything will be okay. Didn't work out. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. So everybody right here. We think about the kingdom of God oftentimes the wrong way. A lot of times we approach the kingdom of God from a certain perspective. We're translating the kingdom of God through the way we see our world. And so we're, we're understanding what the church is supposed to be. We're understanding what God's call is on our life through a mindset or a framework of thinking that is based on our world. And Jesus, in the, in the rest of this passage, is going to flip this perspective. Because you do not see the kingdom of God through the lens of our world, but in fact you see the world through the lens of the kingdom of God. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're tasked to do. That's why when we come to Jesus and we say things like, can I sit at your right hand in the kingdom? And, and she says, can they sit at your left hand in the kingdom? Jesus says, you don't even understand what you were asking. Because you're translating the kingdom through your earthly perspective and you're missing the point. And so he says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And, and if you know the story of Jesus, in a, few, um, in a little while, he's going to find himself in a garden the day before he dies on a cross. And he's going to be praying in the garden. And he's going to be with his closest friends, ironically enough. The sons of Zebedee are there with him. And so is Peter. And he's praying. And you remember what he prays. He says, Father, if there is any other way, then take this cup from me. You remember that? Because the cup represents drinking or taking on the full weight of responsibility. So in the kingdom... Jesus, he finds himself in the garden and he's sitting there and he says, if there's any other way to deal with the brokenness of humanity, if there's any other way to deal with the sin of these people that you created, by the way. No, he didn't say that. But is there any other way to deal with sin than take this cup from me? But instead, what happened? Jesus drank the cup. Meaning, he took on himself the full weight of the consequences of our sins. He took on himself the responsibility to deal with the sins of our world. So when he asks, are you able to drink this cup? Are you able to take on the full responsibility of leading in the kingdom of God? And enthusiastically, they say, yes, we are. We are ready. We are able and then he said, you will drink my cup. So you will have a role in the kingdom. You will lead here. I believe in you. I believe in that. You will drink this cup. But it is for those 
for whom it has been prepared by my Father, um, but for, sorry, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not for me to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, so now put yourself in the story, right? Peter's walking up, see James and John and his mother talking with Jesus, and they hear that they've been asking for um, a raise. They've been asking for a position in the kingdom. They've been asking for a role when Jesus takes over. And so they get fired up, and it says when they heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. And then Jesus called them to him and said, guys, calm down, calm down, here we go, listen. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Jesus is talking about, you see the things of the kingdom through an earthly lens. You're looking at this the wrong way. You're seeing, you're trying to fit Jesus, you're trying to fit his kingdom into your pre-existing perspective that says authority over people is where I gain significance. Authority over people or positions is how I make an impact. It is where I define myself. It is how I have value in this world. And he's saying, you're seeing things the wrong way. That is not how the kingdom of God works. That's what Gentiles do. They lord it over them. They base their identity and their value and their significance on who they are over, not who they serve under. That's not the way of the kingdom. He says, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And then their brains exploded because they never saw it that way. Whoever's going to be great among you has to be the servant. Whoever's going to be first needs to be last. The first among you must be your slave. Again, I've got a few kids now, and um, they just keep coming. So, um, But every now and then, as a parent, you, you've been in this place too, where you have the, that's not what Huxfords do. I mean, you, you fill in your own name. Unless you want to say Huxfords, then you're more than welcome. Um, but there, there are moments where I, I have to sit my son down and say, but that's not what Huxfords do. We don't act like that. You know, they'll go play with a friend or they'll go do something and they'll come back and they'll say something. I'll be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What'd you say? And then, and then it just gets real. And we, and we say, listen, I know that's okay for them. They may talk that way to each other. They may do those kind of things. They may watch those kind of shows. They may fight that kind of way. But that's not what Huxfords do. We don't talk to each other that way. We don't fight like this. We don't try to, you know, get rid of somebody or hurt somebody intentionally. We don't do those kind of things. That's not what Huxfords do. This is your family. This is how we act. This is how we treat each other. I don't care how they do it. They can do it all day long. Look at what that creates. But in this house, this is how we act. This is how we operate. That's the speech Jesus has given his disciples. He's going, guys, 
They may do that over there. They may lord it over people and gain this pseudo-assumption about their authority or power, but it is powerless. That doesn't change anything. The Roman Empire is here today, gone tomorrow. The kingdom of heaven does not end, and it is something that I've just started. But in this house and in this kingdom, this is how we treat each other. We do not lord it over people as if our authority over people gives us value, but we serve under one another. That's how you make a difference. That's where you find your purpose. We don't act that way in this house. And so then he ends it out. He says, the first among you must be your slaves. But it was more than talk for Jesus. Look at what he says. Even as the son of man, he's talking about himself. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The one person who did not have to submit himself. The one person who actually has authority over everyone and everything. The one person who deserves all of it still chose to humble himself, take on the nature of a servant to show us this is the way of the kingdom. This is how this family operates. Listen, every one of us wants to know that their life counts in a significant way. Every one of us does that. Everyone wants to know that I can make a difference. I can live a life of significance. That's okay. In fact, God put that in you. He planted that desire within you. The problem is how we pursue it. You see, in the kingdom, though, greatness is achieved through serving. I love how someone said it. I can't even remember, but they talk about the upside-down kingdom of God because that's what it is. If you want to be the greatest, you're the servant of all. But again, this is a character of Christ that then defines the character of of the church because again there is a night where Jesus finds himself with his disciples and he's the last night before he goes to the cross and he's sitting around a table and they're all playing this game not like a card game but um, this this game of who's the lowest among us and who's going to wash everybody else's feet so Peter's like listen I'm already mentioned in the Bible a lot so it's not me sons of thunder are like mama already talked to Jesus we're good um and so they're playing this game, like Bartholomew is like, okay, let's see what happens. You know, that's not how it worked. Um, so they're all sitting there playing this game, who's the least, you know? And that's when Jesus stands up, removes his outer garment, puts a towel on his arm, grabs water, and he starts washing everybody's feet. He kneels down, the Lord of creation, kneeling down, washing the feet of disciples, gets to Peter, and Peter's like, you can't do this. Jesus says, if, if I don't wash you, you can't have any part of me. And then Peter's like, well, wash all of me. And Jesus is like, calm down. Your feet are dirty. I mean, take it easy, man. And so it's just one of those things where he's like, just your feet are dirty. Then he says these words. I'm in John 13, verse 12. He says, when he had washed their feet, and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've just done for you? Do you understand what's going on? Do you get how this works? Do you understand the goal here? 
You call me teacher and Lord, meaning over all creation. And he says, and you're right, for I am so. If I then, the Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. If I can serve, you can serve. If I can wash their feet, you can wash their feet. If I can humble myself, then my church can humble themselves. You see, it, this has always been a part of God's character. I mean, even from the beginning, Adam and Eve, they, they come into the picture and they sin and they, they break the relationship with God and what does he do for them? He clothes them. He sees their shame and their nakedness and he serves them by knitting together clothes so they don't have to be naked and ashamed. When God's people are wandering through the wilderness and they're desperate, what does he do? He puts on his waiter suit and he serves them manna and he serves them quail and he serves them water and he walks with them and follows them and serves them. When God's people ran from him, what did he do? He waited. He waited for them. And when they cried out, what did he do? He ran to them. When they finally said, God, we need you. We can't do this without you anymore. We need you to show up in our lives. God dropped everything and ran to his people and embraced them, waiting to serve them again. And when they were held at the edge of the Red Sea and they were held in Babylonian captivity, God dropped everything to rescue them, to show them that he was there for them, to serve them. And when we had no possible outcome, when he had no possible way of dealing with our sin, Jesus leaves heaven and comes and steps into our place and takes on, gives up his life so that we then can take on life because at one time after another, he serves us, he serves us, he serves us, he shows up for us, he deals with our brokenness, he finds ways to invest in us over and over and over. This is what sets Jesus apart from any other religion. We serve a God who has historically served his people over and over again. That's what makes him stand out. You see, in 1 John 4, 19, I think this is where we get it. It says, we love because he first loved us. Here's how I think this worked. I'm going to move over here. I'm sorry if I step out of the picture. Um, we love... We are capable of love because he first loved us. Here's how this works. Jesus is the source of life. And, and when his character, as the church, he pours in his character. And so he loved us first, okay? This is what Jesus does. He fills us. He restores us. He gives us hope. He gives us purpose. He shows us himself. But what happens next? What happens if he fills us, but the water we've been given never serves to quench the thirst of others? What happens if he fills us, but then we just set this on the side and let it stand there? What happens? It grows stagnant, it grows nasty, it doesn't nourish, it doesn't replenish, it doesn't satisfy anybody. What if that is the picture of the church? Powerless, because it never goes anywhere. But he loved us so that we can love one another, right? 
This is our job. This is how it works. He fills us so that we fill others. He pours in his love so that we can love others. He fills us with his goodness. He fills us with compassion. He fills us with hope so that we can then go make a difference and serve other people a glass of water so that they would taste and be refreshed by the goodness of our God. That's how this works. And what's amazing about this is it's only after we begin serving that we discover our true purpose. You can't find it until you take steps of obedience. That's what's so sad. So many of us come in here, we get filled up, and then we stay there. And we don't fill anybody, we don't restore anybody. And then we go, I thought this would be different. I thought Jesus was enough. But you're only doing half of the story. Your role is to be filled and fill others. To be satisfied in Christ and then satisfy those who are in desperate search of something significant. This is our story. This is how we make a difference. We serve. We discover our purpose. I love how Pastor Cam um, said it last week. He said, I don't even know if you caught it. It was really quick. He said, but our baptism is our commissioning. You know what I mean by that? When you step in and you give your life to Jesus, you step in and say, I'm, I need you to save me. I need you to rescue me. I'm ready to give you my life. I'm, I'm repenting of this way. I'm walking in a different way now. I'm ready to give over everything. And then you, in obedience, you're baptized. As this proclamation to the family that, hey, Jesus is Lord of my life. Jesus is the Savior of my life. And on the day when you are baptized, when you surrender everything over to him, you are then now commissioned. You have a purpose to do something significant, to pour into the life of other people and satisfy them through the power, through the love that is poured into you from Jesus Christ. Your baptism, your walking with Jesus is your commissioning to live on purpose. And if we only stop short, if we stop right before we make a difference, right before we serve, right before we reach out, we just miss. And the worst part about it is that if the church never moves anywhere, that's what our world thinks the church is. We give the church a bad name. We give Jesus a bad name. That's not what's going to happen. So this semester, that changes as we make a difference. Let me pray for us. Father, your grace. Thank you for your love for us. We're so glad that we get an opportunity to know you and serve you. I pray that whatever you're doing in our hearts right now, we would be ready. Um, we'd be ready to just step into it, step up and, and be used by you for your kingdom. Give us a bigger picture of our lives. Give us a, a call that we cannot ignore. Help us to run after you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.